0: Hi, you're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 74, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Carolyn Welch, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the Mindsight Institute and author of The Gift of Presence, a mindfulness guide for women. Carolyn began her mindfulness practice 40 years ago while studying in Japan. You can find out more about Carolyn at Carolyn Welch. That's W E L C H dot com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Carolyn Welch to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi everyone. I usually spend a few minutes before each of these interviews saying a few things that are relevant to the upcoming interview. But this time, right now, I am recording this after the covid-19 pandemic has taken a full hold in the united states here it's march 27th 2020 right now i'm working from home this is a virtual background but i am home we've been pretty much at home for a few weeks and you know life has radically changed for us and for just about everybody so i thought i would let you know that if you are now at home working at home perhaps full time feeling isolated at home, struggling to work remotely from home as an employee or contractor or freelancer, if you are a manager or supervisor and trying your best to adapt to to managing a team of people who are now unexpectedly, pretty much overnight, working remotely, I want you to know that I and we here at Technology for Mindfulness are here to support you. I have put out a few free webinars so far. We'll keep doing that. Stay tuned to the blog for information about how to be focused and productive while working remotely, how to deal with the inevitable isolation that you can feel working from home, and how to take advantage of technology to help with all of these things. And I wouldn't quite call it a silver lining, but one thing that many of us are fortunate to have during this pandemic is technology that we can use to communicate with each other by phone, text, video even, live video, which just a few years ago was much less common to help us engage and interact with each other directly to deal with that isolation and feelings of loneliness. We will keep putting out more content related to this to help all of you, and I'd I'd really encourage you and, and request and welcome you to reach out to us, to let us know what are you struggling with in the face of COVID-19 that's related to what we can help with. Remote work, using technology, being distracted, needing to be focused, needing to be productive, and how to connect best with other people in your work, in your life. Uh, you can reach out to us in many ways. You can go to the Contact Us page on our website. You can reach out to us through Facebook. You can comment on this YouTube video if you're watching this on YouTube rather than listening to it. Reach out to us. Let us know what you need help with. And we will pay attention to that and do our best to respond. I hope you, your family, your colleagues, your friends, and everyone in your circle is safe and well. And with that, I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Carolyn Welch. Hi, Caroline, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast.
1: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: I'd love to get started by asking you, you've been into and practicing mindfulness for decades now. Could you let people know how you got started in mindfulness, practicing mindfulness?
1: Uh, Yes, it was quite unexpected. I was living in Japan as an English teacher in the mid-70s, and some of my students were going to a temple nearby quite regularly. I was in Hiroshima, Japan, which happens to be the headquarters of Mazda. They would send their engineering students and others there on weekends for mindfulness retreats. And uh, many of my students were engineers, and one of them said that he thought I would enjoy a weekend at the temple. So it started like that. And of course, I enjoyed very much the stillness and the peace mm-hmm. and quiet. I would be a part of the life at the temple, which included sitting in uh, Zazen in meditation for one hour, two hours at a time. And I would be there in that long drafty hall and the monks would be going up and down or one monk, not not more than one, but uh, just pacing in front of us. And if someone felt they needed an adjustment, the monk would have a long wooden stick and would tap, but not necessarily just a tap. Yeah. On our <laughs> yes. And that went both ways. I mean, both uh, if I, as the student felt I could use a little motivation or adjustment, I might request that. Or uh, it may be that the monk uh, himself would determine that would be in order.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're being very polite in your description i'm trying to like.
1: speak uh, very you know generally and respectfully
0: yeah so was this zen or was it some other particular tradition that you were practicing yes in it zen? was
1: zen and it was in the rinzai sect
0: Okay, and just for people out there, it seems to me like these days in the West and the U.S., most people are getting their introduction to mindfulness through other countries' lineages, out other than Japan. I'm curious, from your experience, having learned that through Zen in Japan, is there some flavor of it or aspect of the experience or how you learn that you know it might be different that's influential on you that might be interesting to people here getting exposed through a different tradition?
1: I think all of the ways to approach mindfulness in the end have a great deal of commonality. And I think also at the same time, what practices come to resonate with any one person and be the practice that he or she can actually sustain is very individual. So whether it's Japan or Burma or Thailand or any other country, it's uh, more a matter of what is that match like for the individual?
0: Yeah. And you've now been been teaching and, and spreading, uh, teaching about mindfulness for many years On your own, I know you've got a book coming up very soon.
1: Would this be a good? Yeah, this would be
0: a great opportunity.
1: uh, Show you a quick image. Yes, the book,
0: "The Gift of Presence: A Mindfulness Guide for Women." So I want to start talking about that. Uh, You know, first, it's interesting that you focus on presence, which is not exactly the same as mindfulness. Could you speak to people about why you decided to focus on presence? For the book in relation to mindfulness, what is the importance of presence?
1: I guess I have to ask you a question first yeah. before I can answer your question. Sure, sure. Uh, which is, what do you see as the difference between presence and mindfulness? I might
0: see a presence as an as an aspect of mindfulness. It might also be a result of mindfulness that if you can become in a, be in a mindful state, that the result is that you're, you are fully present.
1: I see. Yeah. And I guess I'm using the words synonymously in my book. You uh, mentioned that mindfulness is a state Mm -hmm. and I would consider the synonymous term presence to be a state. So in that regard, mindful awareness mindfulness, and presence are all states. Mm-hmm. States are one, one in the same state of mind.
0: And then in the book, you talk about what you call three Ps, which are all related to presence. Could you just give people a, a quick overview of what those are you know, and what their significance is?
1: Yes, absolutely. I started with presence as the foundation for... Our lives basically looking at presence or mindfulness and thinking about a way to bring it alive in the lives of busy people Mm -hmm. and women in particular. And so, in that process, I interviewed a hundred women and could distill three P's that helped me to express or make accessible. How presence might unfold in our lives. Okay. The first P is purpose. And that was an unexpected discovery on my part mm. because, in interviewing women, what I kept hearing about from those who were very engaged in their lives and very happy was a driving purpose that provided direction in their lives. Mm. And we can't get to purpose without being present or very present with what is going on at this time for us. Mm -hmm. And the second P is pivoting. And I thought a lot about how being present means accepting change and change is constant. Mm -hmm. And as humans, we don't like change and we don't like uncertainty. Yeah. So I wanted to bring forth a concept that could support us when we need to change, which is actually quite often because things around us are changing. And the reason I pick pivoting is that as in basketball, it's a swivel. You still have one foot grounded. And when we pivot, we are still grounded. Uh, typically. That is that we're usually making a change in one aspect of our lives, our career or our home life or our geographic location. But in those times, because those are big changes, it's easy to forget that we have all kinds of resources that aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. We have relationships, we have our work skills, we have experiences, and all of these are right there beside us Mm -hmm. during these changes that we will encounter. And the the third P is pacing. Pacing grew also out of the interviews I did. And I interviewed women ages 16 or 18 to 90. What I heard from all of them that kind of surprised me was that they're all really busy. There doesn't seem to be Any decade or any age by which we can all slow down predict, Mm -hmm. I thought that the merger of so many life's demands in our 20s and 30s, when there's so much uncertainty about what to study how and where to work, what kind of family life, if any, or significant other, or all of these looming unknowns and decisions, which exist then actually continue to persist and exist in different forms later in our lives.
0: One thing that's interesting about all of these, uh, which is different from how Mindfulness is often portrayed these days, I see, in popular culture, is these seem very active, that they are not just about noticing or paying attention, although I know that's at the foundation of all of this, but pivoting involves some element of making a decision and acting on it. Purpose has some direction you are looking in, and the pacing is about the pace of what? Of perhaps being aware, but also of acting, and you talk a little about that active element of all of this
1: right and and I think maybe this is a a point to clarify because uh, as you suggest, we hear and see a lot about mindfulness, the mindfulness phenomenon yeah, and I think there are many misconceptions about what mindfulness may or may not be, sure, and when you say. The three P's have an active part of them. Well, presence or mindfulness itself is the paying of attention. Yes. In the present moment to what's going on without getting carried away by judgments with kindness for ourselves. That's not exactly sitting back and relaxing. Right. And so I think while meditation Practice uh, the practice of mindfulness uh, through meditation or another mindful awareness practice is often equated with relaxing. That is a bit misleading because relaxing is different than a mindful awareness practice.
0: Yes, yes. And that's why I was trying to be careful to say it's different from how we often hear it described or portrayed these days.
1: Right, Uh, right. Because I
0: think, you know, there may be people listening who have only been perhaps exposed to that way of thinking about mindfulness as being something somewhat passive.
1: That's right. And this is a very interesting point. And in my interviews, what I heard quite often, if I would ask, what about your own mindfulness practice I would often hear something like, oh, yes, when I'm painting, that's my time. I'm, I'm fully in the zone mm-hmm. or mindful or relaxed. Yeah. Which reiterates what you're suggesting, that there's a little bit of confusion because we can't really say mindfulness is relaxing. It may be, but mm-hmm. they're not synonymous. Yeah. And the research, for example, there has been research on Having two different groups uh, over a week in a vacation area and one group would be relaxing, walking in nature, doing various things. The meditation group, on the other hand, would, for example, do a walk in nature, but mindfully. Mm -hmm. So being aware. So at the end of the week, if they test both groups, there were physiological benefits that the meditation group could enjoy. Not that both groups didn't leave really feeling restored, rejuvenated, relaxed, happy, but the group that did have a mindful awareness component could enjoy the health benefits of mindfulness.
0: I see. So they, they got those added benefits that the Correct. other group didn't obtain. Yeah.
1: And then it, it does get a bit confusing because I, I mentioned a walk in the woods. Well, I can just be walking in the woods and daydreaming mm-hmm. and zoning out or in the zone. And right. that's also very good for us and good for our brains and great for sure. support creativity. But if I were to do a mindful walk in the woods, then I would be focusing my mm-hmm. attention. Yes and i would it would be that that uh, that process would be very different that walk would be different and i think it's confusing because you can have the same activities but right. it's it's a different outcome and it's a different activity in a, in this way
0: yeah Well, you you are focusing your attention in a different way or perhaps focusing it in one case and not
1: exactly in that's yeah. exactly right i mean then you get into the wandering mind as you know that's where we spend half of our time yes. wandering
0: So when you interviewed these women, and I do want to get to the fact that it was women that you focused on, you know, why did you focus on women and what is it from the book uh, that that women will gain particularly, but uh, did you find that these, if I call them traits or attitudes or practices of the three P's, were things that distinguished them from other women? Is that why you gleaned the three P's out or is it just that you found these were the common kinds of characteristics of women who were what? Successful or happier? What was it about the three Ps that called your attention to them?
1: The three Ps evolved early on. I had pacing and pivoting and presence in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then presence, it became clear that presence is the foundation. It's our way of life. It's often portrayed as a quick fix or a tool, or we right. often think about being present or mindfulness is something that will help us when we most need it. But the fact is that it's a, it, it is a way of being. Mm-hmm. And so it became clear to me that that would provide the foundation for my entire book and what mm-hmm. I would write about. And then the the pivoting and pacing came out of my own life and looking at the various stages I've gone through. And what would be two things that would have supported me had I had them more in the forefront Mm -hmm. of my mind, one would be pivoting to remember, as I I mentioned, we have resources always with us and the pivot is just for this one aspect of our lives and the pacing to take off some of that pressure like i don't have to decide everything this week month mm-hmm. or maybe even this year yeah and fortunately our lives and our health spans are getting longer so there literally is time and we all have well many of us have successive careers or successive volunteering opportunities or the it seems like we we can enjoy more, more space in our lives so that pacing becomes an important concept. Let me just finish with the purpose part, because uh. that is really the one, uh, the only one of the Ps that emerged from my interviews with the women. And that became such a, a powerful force in the interviews. And I also liken purpose to presence because it is a natural resource Available to all of us, not just for the privileged, it's not a luxury. Right. It contributes to our well-being. and there is a, a large body of research to support the benefit of finding and living aligned with our purpose.
0: Okay, yeah, I wonder, could you speak to what it was more specifically? Did, did the women who had this strong sense of purpose did it uh, enable them to, to be more present? Did it drive their ability to, to pivot more easily? or the, what, what was the role of purpose, do you think, in their lives?
1: I think uh, the role of purpose in the lives of the women whom I interviewed, just as in the lives of, of all of us, purpose can give us a direction and it can keep us in the present mm-hmm. and centered. And it can offer us also resilience. So that even on our most discouraging days, if we can look ahead to our purpose or keep it on our radar, yeah. we can feel, okay, today was full of emergencies, didn't even get to anything on my to-do list, yeah. but one of my purposes in life is to be and effective and then fill in the blank for whatever your work role is or your family role. And you're still moving toward those things, living consistent with them.
0: And I, I, I really relate to when you talk about the to do list. It's very easy for all of us to get sucked into a to do list and to, quote, accomplish a lot uh, that's not necessarily directed to any purpose.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's why presence and purpose are so intertwined yeah. because we need presence. We need mindful awareness to have a good look at what we're doing each day. Yes. And then having a look at, well, wait, what is my purpose? What gets me out of the out of bed in the morning? Mm-hmm. What is personally meaningful for me? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm, now I want to turn to the pacing, which I think can seem counterintuitive, to those busy people among us (laughs) who feel like might have a tendency to feel that faster is better necessarily and might question, well, what could it possibly be about changing your pacing that could make you more effective or achieve that purpose better? It's hard in our culture to see the benefit perhaps slowing down. It might seem counterintuitive that that might be more effective. So can you speak a little bit to pacing?
1: Yes, I can. I, I think if you even say to yourself right now, I don't need to do it all, all mm-hmm. at once, mm-hmm. or I'm exactly where I should be right now. These are things that are simple, but not easy to remember. And just as when we do take that moment to take a breath Maybe before we transition from a work day to our homes, or we do sit in stillness for even five minutes and think we don't have those five minutes. But inevitably, you find that your day unfolds just slightly less chaotically mm-hmm. because your relationship to the day has yeah. been shifted a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I find that very helpful when you say the relationship to the day because we all know we have a certain number of hours, minutes, seconds in the day, right? That we can't change. We can change our attitude towards it or our relationship to it or how we how we perceive it.
1: That's right, exactly. And and that's one of the most interesting things when we come to consider technology and mindfulness. Mm-hmm because technology is here to stay, and it's not the enemy, it does so much good for us. But we do need to have a healthy relationship with technology so that we aren't all consumed.
0: Yeah, and I know you use this phrase in the book, titrating the technology. I find it an interesting metaphor. (laughs) As an
1: engineer, you're interested in that, (laughs) right? Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Can you talk a little, talk about what do you mean by that? Like, what would that be in someone's life to titrate the technology?
1: Right. Well, in its simplest terms, it would be to put some rules on our devices. Our devices don't come with rules. That's up to us. And as you know, the Internet is, uh, as we lovingly call it in our family, the infinite. <laughs> and there's always more. So there have to be rules about, well, what would the times be? And what we're seeing is that in companies or in schools or in families or even in in, uh, any kind of group situation, each group kind of makes its own rules. And there have been studies that have shown us in certain meetings, if three people out of are paying attention. The others feel it's okay for them mm-hmm. to be on devices. Mm-hmm. Or uh, on the other hand, if one person pulls out a device, others are likely to. So there's just a behavior that develops depending upon what ecosystem you're in.
0: Yeah, no, it's very much true that the devices, they don't come with rules, but they do come with their own behaviors that can influence us in one way or the other if we're not
1: intentional. Right yeah and I, I think another aspect of this is it's it's important to be informed about why social media is unsocial mm. and how it is such a perfect storm if you consider that we are social beings and we have social brains, so we need to belong and to connect and to be accepted so on social media, you have this network, but it's it's virtual. Mm-hmm. And it taps into the same reward circuitry that other addictions do. Mm-hmm. And so in activating the reward circuitry and dopamine, a neurotransmitter, there's a fleeting excitement, but it's not enduring. If we go back and look at our need as humans to belong and to have social connections then restoring and supporting and cultivating our real-time in-person mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. can support us in disengaging from some of the social media that we might be entangled in more than we would like to be
0: yeah yeah i really appreciate you pointing out that they that that these systems tap into what is a real legitimate, understandable need that we all have. It's easy for us to feel regret or guilt about engage, you know, engaging on social media or other ways online. And then I find it helpful to step back and say, look, it's understandable. We are all driven by the desire to connect with each That's other. Right. And these systems That's hold right. that out to us.
1: Exactly. And I think knowing that is really important. And I think um, appreciating also the strength of the algorithms. Mm-hmm. Very smart people are yeah. working right now to make their platform the most compelling. Mm-hmm. And the see more you might like. Yeah. That's all part of this. And I think that's where presence comes in in action to, to recognize yeah, what's going about that. on when that yeah. comes
0: up. I see. Yeah. To, to, to be able to be present when there is some recommendation, I think, you know, YouTube, they keep making their algorithm better and better. <laughs> That's
1: right. You've noticed that. That's great. That's I've noticed it. Step.
0: Yes, definitely noticed it. And you're right. Yeah. So, so you're suggesting to people, they practice that noticing in that moment when Facebook or YouTube or whatever it else suggests something to them that might feel appealing.
1: That's right. And I I would also suggest setting an intention before you even uh, go to your device or Mm -hmm. look at it, although we're looking at them hundreds of times a day. But you have the intention, especially if it's social media or something where you might get off on some thought safaris, you might just consider, well, wait, I've got 10 minutes to do this. Mm And that that's another thing, like even before you're faced with the pop-ups, just like how many minutes do I have to do this or do I want to do this?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is all very helpful. Everything we've been talking about so far has been somewhat uh, generically helpful to, to anyone, but you chose to focus your book as a guide for women. So I am curious, you know, why did you decide to do that? And are there particular either challenges or needs uh, that women have in relation to mindfulness and presence or something that you thought women would benefit particularly from in, in reading such a book? And, and what, why is it that you, you have that focus and what could women get out of this? That's, that's special.
1: That, that's a great question. And I always get that question. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not trying uh, to, uh, you know, own mindfulness, or say that women have a special connection to mindfulness or anything like that. Mindfulness is a way of being for everyone and anyone. The focus of my book is on women because I have experienced the challenges of being a working woman and having multiple roles Mm -hmm. and uh, knowing firsthand how being present can support us in some of the many things that we do. And we still have gendered assumptions in our culture and workplaces that do present challenges for women and presence and the three Ps can be very supportive, recognizing those challenges and um, working with them.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the many different roles. I'd like to hear about. That. I, I assume perhaps you're 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 referring to the fact women often have more responsibility at home and at work simultaneously, and have lots of different responsibilities that they have to fulfill simultaneously, and that can be particularly challenging. Is that part of what you're you're talking about?
1: Yes, I'm referring to the expectations in fulfilling many different roles, as you're suggesting. Yeah. And it's not just from our society. It's also from ourselves. And we put pressures on ourselves as well. But uh, it is often the case that the role of males as breadwinners is the one that is most important in Mm -hmm. their lives. So that's why in the workplace, you can see that the same speech delivered by Heidi is received differently than the speech from Howard. And so there are still assumptions attached. When it comes to roles in the family, caregiving still largely falls on women. Mm -hmm. And even uh, when women are working outside of the home, they're still in charge of most of the home life and the so-called worry work. And Mm -hmm. if there are children involved, then the work to register them and set up appointments and all of that, it all usually falls on women. I just want to mention one example in my own life and you're a lawyer, so you can probably envision this, but when I was in corporate litigation practice it's not uncommon to work pretty long days, 12, 14, 15 hour days. And then in my case, I had Japan, many Japanese clients. So I may have to go to Japan and fly over the dateline and miss the weekend and come back. So it was quite a cycle. Yeah. And one evening, I was, I, um, this was a, at the time when our son was about three years old, and I was leaving my office around 9 p.m. And one of my partners called down the hall another half day. So it's that kind of comment. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have said that to any of my similarly situated male attorney colleagues. Right. But there's that perception that if I leave my office to go and coach my daughter's soccer game, then maybe I'm not devoted to my work. Right. But if my male colleague does that, he's over in the extra credit column because he's yeah. such a great dad right. or he has his right. priorities in order. So yeah. this is, unfortunately, this is still alive and well in many of our workplaces.
0: Yeah. And so what would you say to women who read your, your book? I'm not asking for a pitch, but you know, what is it if they're struggling with some of these issues in their own lives and the challenges and the burden of, of all of this? you know, what is it that they might find from the book that speaks to them specifically as women?
1: I hope what they will find in the book through both the research that I've called and made accessible, as well as the stories of the other women whom I've, which I've collected, I hope that they'll find in there many things that resonate with themselves and many things that they can put to work in their own lives right away. Whether it's One woman, for example, who uh, would come home from work each day and she would just very intentionally, before she went into the house and, and met with her family, just feel her hand on the doorknob. And that would really center her as she entered the house. So I hope that some of these things will be very supportive for women. They all, we all have to-do lists that are already too long. So one reframe that I encourage in the book is not to look at being present as another Mm to-do. That you don't get to. Let's think about how you could potentially staple it to something you're already doing. Yeah. And then it's not an add-on, it's there and it's going to happen.
0: That's great. Yeah, that's a really great way to frame it. Um, and, and I don't want to suggest either that this book is only useful for women. I assume there's a lot in it that men could get out of either directly for themselves to the extent it's about mindfulness, and then also to understand what the perspective of women might, might be. Does exactly. Fair enough.
1: Thank you. That's right. That's right. It is, is not only for women, and even when I offer all-day mindfulness workshops for women, There are always a few men who attend. And when I ask why they say I attend, because I have a daughter or I'm a teacher in a school, I just need to know more about the lives of women. But absolutely everything in the book that concerns presence could apply to anyone. And it's just brought to life in the lives of women so that it could be of a support to them.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about you and your work more generally, and the book, if they want to uh, get in touch with you, learn about your your work, read the book, and and about everything you're involved in.
1: Uh, Thank you. I I think the go-to place would be my website, which is under my name, carolinewelch.com.
0: Great. Well, that's great. We'll uh, post uh, a lot more in the show notes for everyone if you want to find out about about the book and more about Caroline. Thanks so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you.
1: Thank you, my pleasure.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Carolyn Welch, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the Mindsight Institute, and the author of The Gift of Presence, A Mindfulness Guide for Women. You can find out more about Carolyn at carolynwelch.com. That's carolynwelch, welc If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate and review and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative and happy using technology and also to sign up for our mailing list and receive a free mindfulness meditation direct into your inbox. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with clinical social work therapist and expert on digital addiction, Nadja Streeter.